Episode 69, Tim Topham on Memberships versus One-Time Fee. The Online Course Guy Podcast. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content and packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. Didn't you take some kind of course that covered this stuff? Check it out. It's a good course. It's a good class. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Here's the Online Course Guy. Hey everyone, it's Jack Hopkins and welcome to episode 69 of the Online Course Guy podcast. I really, really enjoyed talking to today's guest. Not that I don't enjoy talking to the other guests on this show, but we had a lot to talk about. We had a lot in common and that is Tim Topham of timtopham.com that I'm talking about. You spell his last name T-O-P-H-A-M. And he's just coming at this from such a cool perspective because he's a he's a pianist and a piano teacher, but he didn't set out and create a piano course. Imagine doing that. For those of you that don't know me, I have a piano course at pianoin21days.com. But Tim looked at it and he said, okay, there's a lot of piano courses out there. I think the way I can best help people and be found by the people that need my help is to help piano teachers. So all of his training is geared toward helping piano teachers be better piano teachers teachers. That's just so, so interesting. Let me tell you about my favorite thing from this episode, though, in just a second, after I tell you about our sponsor of this podcast, and that is Bonjoro. With Bonjoro, you can quickly and easily send a short video to anybody with an email address. For example, every day I log in and see who bought my piano course the day before, and I send them a 30-second Bonjoro. I say, hey, John, thank you so much for signing up for Piano in 21 Days. I really appreciate it. And look, I'm here if you need anything. I hope everything's going well so far and um, and just wanted to, to say hi and welcome you and uh, and so excited for you and uh, looking forward to chatting with you more as you go through the course. And then I hit send and it's off. It's off to John and, and he, you know, it just sets everything off on the right foot. So I highly recommend you check out Bonjoro. You can get a free 14-day trial by heading to bonjoro.com slash Jacques and you spell that last part, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. So I mentioned a couple of things about the interview already, but my favorite thing, and the reason I called this episode Tim Topham on memberships versus one-time fee, because we talked about a lot of things, but it's because that's my favorite thing. I get asked a lot, hey, Jacques, should I charge a one-time fee for my course or should I charge a monthly membership fee? And what I usually tell people is like, okay, if you're going to go the membership fee route, then you've got to constantly be adding content. You got to be constantly providing new value that maybe they didn't get in month one that's going to want to to keep them around. And one of the best examples of this was, I think it was episode 34, Jessica Putnam Phillips, who has the the pottery courses. She's She is adding a new course per week. And, and obviously, she's passionate about it. And she charges a membership fee and people stick around because they know they're going to get more and more and more content the longer they stick around. Well, Tim had a one-time fee for some of his courses and decided to wrap everything up into one membership offering. And he's he's done it the right way. And look, he's got over a thousand active members now. And you, you can go to timtopham.com. You can see how much one membership costs and kind of do the math there. So obviously he's doing very, very well, very successful and really serving his students, which are piano teachers. And he's doing it the right way. So if you want to hear Tim talk about memberships versus one-time fee and what that right way is, definitely stay tuned toward you know two-thirds through the interview. But let's get into the full thing because there's so much great 
content to hear from Tim. Let's jump into it right now. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm very good. It's early morning here, Jack, but it's an absolute pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we finally made this work, Tim. It's, uh, it's the afternoon for me. This is my last work thing for the day before I call it a day, and you're just starting it. I'm jealous. It looks like you're sipping on some coffee or tea there. Uh, yeah, just a cup of tea for me in, this mo- in the morning. Uh, I love coffee, and um, as you probably are aware, Melbourne is a massive, crazy coffee culture. Uh, so we have amazing coffee on every uh, single corner. But uh, for me, first thing in the morning, I'm, I've got an English background, so it's a cup of tea. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to you today about your business and, and obviously your online course, Tim. When was it that you, that you kind of got your idea for, for your first online course? It would have been about 2012 or 13, I would guess. So I started blogging in 2010. Uh, so I created a blog for piano teachers where I was just sharing ideas of things that I was seeing work in my piano lessons uh, with other teachers, I thought, well, let's, you know, let, let's get this information out there. What I found as I built this community and, and got teachers coming back to me and asking questions was that their biggest challenge was teaching popular music styles. So being able to uh, take a kid through a pop song when they can't actually play at the level that the pop song's written, which is really, really common um, because all kids want to sound cool and play this music, but the arrangements are often incredibly difficult. And, um, of course, pop songs really were never made to be played on a piano, not the melody anyway. So it's incredibly difficult. Uh, so what I found was that was that topic was coming up more and more and more. And so I thought, well, hey, I, I've got to create some resources for this because uh, I'm just answering the same questions to individual people by email all the time. Why don't I actually create create some videos about this, about how to go about teaching this style? And so that's where it all came about. Why even create a blog to begin with? You know, I there's a couple of reasons. One one of the main ones was I as a registered teacher, I was a classroom teacher at the time we have to track that we're learning things and uh, continuing our professional development. One of the good ways or best ways to do that is actually to write about books you've read or lectures you've gone to um, or training you've, you've done online and that kind of thing. So I thought, well, why, you know, rather than keep that in a word document on my computer, why don't I just spread the word about it? So each time I would read a book about, Um, piano teaching or an amazing composer or whatever it was or I went to a a lecture or workshop I'd actually write a review on it and uh, put it up online and lo and behold more and more people started finding those things interesting which in turn makes you want to do it more and so that's when I started to go well okay well I teach the blues I've always done the blues in my lessons why don't I do a little video about how I teach the blues and and so forth and and it just it, it grew very organically from that but I never sat down at any stage and sort of went, wow, I'm going to create a business on this blog. <laughs> it was just, I'm just going to start writing down some cool things I'm doing and see what happens. Yeah, that's really cool. And and it sounds like you kind of went about the online course thing the exact right way in terms of actually providing something you knew that people were already asking for. But people can go start a blog and that doesn't mean you're actually going to have an audience and readers. And, and so you drew these people in and then they started asking you these questions. Then you got to the online course. How did you even generate that traffic? Uh, well, it was back in 2010, 11, 12. Uh, 
I think it was a little bit easier perhaps to get organic traffic uh, back then because blogging, while it wasn't new, in piano teaching circles, it was definitely new. And so while there are there, there would be thousands now, back then I was one of the few. And so I think the traffic uh, did build through Google searches pretty easily itself. Again, I had no intention of trying to, I didn't even know what building an audience was when I started. I was just like, well, I, I wasn't even collecting subscribers or anything like that. I was just going, here's some cool content, go and use it if it, if it works in your lessons and that's fantastic. So, uh, you know, it, and it's a, it's a wonderful way to build a business because it literally just kind of literally grew in its own way. Uh, over time, uh, much harder to do now. It's not impossible, but it ta- you know it takes a little bit more work, I think, now because the internet is so saturated with content. So um, yeah, it's still a tactic that I recommend to people who are interested in doing this. Um, but it may need a bit of you know a bit of paid advertising here and there and things like that to to push it along. And speaking of saturation, I'm very aware of this, and you're probably aware of it too. But there's just countless piano courses out there on the internet. And one of the biggest things that struck me is that you, your main focus with your course and I guess your site is helping piano teachers, not helping the piano student. And so you mentioned that you kind of started by sharing some information on your site about how to play popular songs because there wasn't a lot out there. So why didn't you create your course on that directed at the learner? Why did you go to helping the teacher? It's a good question and it was a really conscious decision because I saw how much was already out there for piano students and I didn't want to, um, I, I didn't feel there was a need to add to that. It was already so saturated as you say. You know, you could go on even in 2010, go on the internet uh, or on YouTube and find just millions of videos teaching kids or students how to play piano or how to play jazz or whatever it was. But there wasn't any of those resources for teachers. And I had a natural affinity, I guess, to share my teaching with other teachers rather than go down that route. So at that time, I wasn't looking at it as a business, but I was just seeing, you know, there's so much information out there for students, but there isn't much for teachers or directed directly at the teachers. So that's why I went down that road. And it was a very conscious decision and other people have asked me the same thing. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I'm really glad that I took um, that path because it's meant that I have been able to stand out in in an industry where I was a big fish in a smaller pond, at least to start with. It's a a brilliant strategy. When I started my piano course in 2013, I wasn't smart enough to think about it from that perspective. Fortunately, it's, it's worked out for, for me and my piano course. Uh, but but even, like, you look at it today, 2018, like, there's just infinitely more piano courses than there were. You know, 2010, it feels like there was almost nothing. Right. And the, and the hardest thing is that there's a lot of free stuff out there too. So a lot of piano people learning piano would go, well, why am I going to pay for stuff when there's just thousands of free videos out there? So that's the other challenge you've got in a market like that. Yeah, so I, I could I could name you know dozens and dozens of my competitors just off the bat without even looking anything up. Do, do you even have any competitors? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> um, it was, it's been interesting too listening to your last few podcast episodes, and you've been saying. Oh, I remember there was one a few back, which in which you said, "Oh yeah, this is my first other piano guy." It was like Carl or Zach or someone. I can't remember who it was. Um, 
uh, and then you had another piano person. I think you've probably had three. I might be your fourth right. in the last <laughs> while that are all about piano. Um, so, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's very popular but, and, and there is a very big audience. Uh, but, <laughs> but you're right, it is, it is, it is very busy. Oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the question that you actually asked me now. No, you actually answered it because I was just asking oh, if you I? had any competitors. Yeah. And right. I'm not- no, no, sorry. Yeah, specific. Yes, I do have specific um, competitors who do what I do uh, and one who runs a very similar business structure. But really, at, at the, the top end of, of what I'm doing, there's, there's probably maybe five to ten maximum that I, that I look at regularly to see what they're up to and, and see how I'm placed with it. Gotcha. So back, um, back several years ago, you, you started the blog and then you got your idea for the online course. What are the steps that you took to actually make the online course a reality and, and get your first sale? Yeah, it's, um, it was a big, it was a big job. I have to say re- recording in particular the first course. So I was working full time as a, a teacher at a school. So I set aside a three week school holiday period in which to record all, all the videos, edit them, and get them all finished. But, of course, before that, you have to do all the planning. So, I was literally – I just had a piece of paper for each module. I think it was like like a what we call it, A4 page over here uh, for each module, and I was just kind of laying them all out and, and writing things on them to try and work out well, what sequence should this happen in, um, what what's the content that I'm going to share, what's the – sort of homework that I'm going to give people, what are the links I'm going to share with them for each of the modules and, and kind of lay them out. And then that one looked better over here. So I shuffled things around. So that was all before that. The other thing I had to do before that three-week recording period was work out the tech. So how am I actually going to sell this? Uh, where am I going to upload it? Uh, what camera do I need? Can I do this myself? Uh, do I need a microphone? Yeah, asking all these kinds of questions. And there were there were lots of them. So it would have been a good Oh, six months probably or three months maybe worth of lead up not not full-time obviously just as I'm going thinking oh yeah I really need to do that and that and how am I going to record if I can't see the laptops I'm gonna have to put that there and so I might need to get a stand for that and then so there was lots to think about um, holiday period so I did all the videos in one week and then I spent the next week uh, editing and I did all of that myself and then I spent the last week kind of uploading it to hosting sites and, and connecting it all up, packaging it. And I can't remember if I actually got it all done in that period, but I remember it went on sale. So that was about October. And then it went on sale. I started kind of talking about it in November. And then to start of December, I started selling it. And is the same course still available for purchase today? It is as part of my membership site. Gotcha. And so it's looking, yeah, still one of the most popular too. Looking back to that time, you know, through the years, you've obviously learned a lot about this stuff. What would you do? What, you, what would you have done differently knowing what you know today? Oh, wow. Um, I'll tell you what, the, the planning side of things, I would not have done any differently. And I think if anyone is considering doing a course, the last thing you need to worry about really is the camera you're going to use and the microphone and the technology because if you can't get the content right and make it amazing and structure it and sequence it in the right way, then it really doesn't matter what happens after that. So, 
I, I would recommend people really focus on getting the planning right. And I guess I'm, I'm a trained teacher, so perhaps that was a little bit easier for me than it might be for people who've never done that before. But really think about what your audience, what, what, they're, what you're trying to give them and what they need and the sequence in which that should happen. And it may take a few, as I was doing, I, I spent days sort of shuffling things around and just thinking as I was in the shower or whatever it was or going for a walk like, oh, yeah, I should tell them that too and just making notes on things and trying to put everything in one. Um, another piece of advice would be to, to remember that this will never be perfect as well. You'll always think of things that you should have said or, or should have done differently and that's okay. Uh, you know, you can always iterate and maybe add a module afterwards or something like that. Um, as for what I would have done differently, as, as a course for sale on its own, which is what it was um, back then, I was actually really happy with it. I had listened to hundreds of podcasts. I'd read books. I'd read blogs. I'd followed all the big online marketer names. So I had a good idea of the, pro- the approach I should use, things like using affiliates, um, and, and I'd already connected with a number of other bloggers, so that was um, that was actually really successful for me. Uh, and and with regard to the technology, you know, it, it will come down to a bit of trial and error too. Um, but I, you know, looking back, I, I wouldn't probably change all that much. I was really I was really happy with the outcome, and the fact that I'm still promoting it and it's still available in my community means that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still happy with the result and I know that it is still very valuable to people because they keep telling me, even though I look like five years younger. <laughs> so what, what is your course offering today? So I'm, I migrated over to a membership website uh, at the start of 2016. So this course went on sale at the end of 2014. This is the pop teaching course uh, and did really well. Uh, I sold I sold a whole lot of them uh, unexpectedly well actually, and I, I that that was I guess my test to see if one I could create something that people would buy, and two if there was a market for this these kinds of resources. So that made me think. Well, all right. Well, what's what's kind of next? What 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 can I do to support piano teachers uh, in in the next few years, uh, or what would my next course be? And what I realized after creating a course, and I don't know if you've had this same experience, that, that a few different things can happen. People can buy a course and then you know that they never use it. So that's one one kind of problem. Uh, problem number two, people will do the course, but it's a very isolated experience. And so there's no sense of other people doing this course with them, which is what you get when you go to school or a university and take a class together. Uh, And three is that I was getting a lot of emails from people individually asking me questions and uh, it was becoming a little bit overwhelming and I knew that there had to be a better way because none of this one-to-one contact was uh, was helping anyone else. And so I started researching these ideas of subscriptions and memberships to see if I could solve those three problems. So have a place where people could not just ask me questions but ask a whole community of people who are also taking that course questions, uh, which takes it sort of out of my inbox and, and makes it much more scalable uh, and also give them that sense of community around the fact that they're not the only people doing this or struggling with this and, hey, we're a team, let's, let's make piano teaching better and let's help our students together. And so that's why I went down the membership 
route. So now the offering for piano teachers is uh, as a part of what I call my inner circle, which is a membership site that now includes all the courses that I've created, plus all my worksheets, all my lesson plans, uh, downloads, videos. So I just packaged everything into one, which enabled me to sell one product, which is access to my membership. Instead of launching a course and selling that and then you know, having a big, hopefully a big spike in income and then it drops off again and you've got to ramp it up and do the next course and then that drops off again. I wanted something a little bit more sustainable that would, um, that would allow that community and also from a business perspective, allow me to hopefully build a more sustainable business so that I could create more courses and support more teachers, etc. That's That's great stuff. I think one of the biggest questions I get from the online course side of things, people wondering about is, should I do charge a one-time fee for my course or have a membership? And I can only speak you know, directly to my experience with Piano in 21 Days, which is a one-time fee. It's not the membership model like you have and the reasons that that works there. Um, but I'm going to definitely you know, point people to this, this episode and what you said, Tim, uh, because it sounds like you, you think so intentionally about these decisions you're making. And the why specifically why membership is a better model for you and the people you're trying to help right yeah and and it is you can see a membership being successful well if it is successful a membership is helpful from both those perspectives it's helpful as a business owner because you've got some uh, stability of income you've got predictable um, cash flow hopefully so it actually it enables you to create more and do more and support more of what you're trying to do which is what means the most to me. You know, I really want to, I've got great big ideas for all the ways that I can help piano teachers help more music students around the world keep playing the piano or whatever instrument it is. And that, that's my biggest goal. I, I, I just hated the thought of students who might be really passionate about music and love it quitting learning because teachers uh, were a little bit... Um, disconnected from what students want these days or some other ways to teach or some different music they could use and things like that. So the more I can do that, the better. Um, and so the, the membership model for me gives me that stability, which is great. On the other side, as I mentioned, it allows the collective wisdom of piano teachers around the world to support each other. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't think you're a piano teacher as such, are you? No. So I've never been like a full-time piano teacher. I'm just a, a guy that kind of figured out how to play differently. You know, you mentioned pop pop music isn't normally what's taught. So I, I saw that market available. I kind of knew how to do that. Started putting YouTube videos out there and turned out successful. Yeah. So one, one of the, the things that teachers, independent music studio teachers find is isolation is a big thing because they're stuck either at home or even if they're at a school, they're in a room all day just seeing kids. And, and so that sense of community is really lacking. So that was the other thing that I really wanted to provide, a sense of community, sense of we're all in this together. Let's support each other. And I was the first to put up my hand and say, I don't actually have all the answers. I'm not purporting to be the most amazing teacher who has amazing students who win competitions and things like that. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but one thing I'm good at is connecting people and bringing them together so that we can all share and we can all learn from each other. And that's been a really big part of the community that I've built. Yeah, that's amazing. And if I were a traditional piano teacher with a studio and, and in-person students, I, I would definitely want to be a part of something like this. So I think it's amazing what you've created here. Um, I think, you know, 39 bucks a month for the, for the basic, 
uh, package is, is nothing compared to what you could get as, as a solo piano teacher, just looking to always be the best version of that you could be. Yeah. And one of the things that I hear a lot from members is that they love the fact that they don't feel so much that they have to follow a hundred other blogs and try and keep their eye on thousands of things that are flying around the internet and all that. We were talking about, you know, the information saturation. Uh, they can, they know that they've got one thing, they've committed to it and they can get everything that they need, more or less everything that they need from that one place. So it kind of allows them to just relax a little bit and not um, worry so much about everything they might be missing out on or information overload or overwhelm itself. So how many members do you have, active members, <clears throat> roughly? Uh, we're very close to a 1,000. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so you, I mean, I, I, I learned about you, Tim, a month or two ago, but you seem to really be an authority in the industry because I, I posted in some like piano teacher Facebook group because I was looking for some advice on how to teach piano students the melody on the piano because that's one of the things that people ask me for the most that I don't already provide to them. And multiple people linked me up to an article that you had written on your website. Oh, that's cool, isn't it? Yeah. What, no, what, it what, is, what do you mean by teaching the melody? Well, you mentioned earlier that when you know the, the melody was never intended oh, how, to be played how, how to play, on the yeah. piano, but that's still a big request. People don't always want to either not play the melody or sing along. They want to actually play the melody on the piano, which is it's a request sometimes. Some people want yeah. to be able to do that. Uh, so you're clearly an authority. Like what, what do you think it takes to, to build up, to be an authority on your topic? It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Um, I do a lot of speaking as well. Uh, and that, that definitely has an impact on, uh, on how you're perceived, uh, in the industry as well. So that's, and that's something that I've always enjoyed doing. Uh, but look, it, it does, it, it takes, yeah, it, it just takes time to, to build a reputation uh, through supporting people and expecting nothing in return. And, and that's what I did for years and years and years and years. And that's what I still do today. I'm more than happy to um, jump on calls with people and answer questions and things like that as much as I can with the time that I've got, of course. Um, so I think all, all of that plus writing for magazines as well has helped, been helpful, writing for other people's blogs, having your own blog, uh, videos. And, and I think if you want to become an authority or an influencer, then you need to put yourself out there as a person. So as, as a, you know, as a face. And so I've, I've seen other people who have asked a similar kind of question and I've gone to their website and, you know, there's really nothing. I can't find a picture of them. I can't, I can't see who it is that's behind this. And so for me, that's a big part of if, if I'm going to follow someone and see what they're up to, I want to see their face. I want to get to know them as a person. So I'll listen to their podcast. I'll check out some videos about them, but I'll, I'll want to see their face on a website. That, that, that would be one, one, little, one little tip. Yeah. And, and speaking of websites, one thing that really jumped out at me about yours is just like how dialed in and professional everything is from your videos to your copy to just the way everything looks. Has, has that just come naturally? Has it always been that way for you and your website? No, no, goodness. If you'd seen what I created in 2010, oh my goodness. Uh, it looked like I mean, it's still on the on the um, the Internet History Archive. I'm sure people could have a look at timtopham.com back in 2010, and 
Yeah, it was it was more like a graffiti artist sort of hangout den or something. It was really weird. So it's it's iterated and developed over time, uh, and in fact, we'll go through a new iteration next year with with the main website um, because all of what you see I've built myself until now, and I'm starting to get to a point where I realise that well, maybe uh, I'm not the best designer um, in the world, and that's okay. So. As the business has grown, so I've been able to spend, start spending money on getting some professional people to help with things like that. So I do appreciate your feedback. Thank you very much for what you've said about it. I sometimes cringe at things that I've that I've got out there and and, and want it to be much better. But it's really it's nice to hear from someone who who knows the industry that it's um, that it's okay. I'm I'm looking at the Wayback Machine right now and looking at some oh, of those no. old versions <laughs> of the site. Yeah, you've come a long way, Tim, for sure. But it, yeah. it's funny you mentioned what you just did because I feel the same way. Like people don't think about when they want to design a website. Like there's really two phases. You've got to design it, and then you've got to implement it. And for for years, I, I you know I, at first I did both of those sides myself, and then I started getting somebody else who knew what they were doing to do the implementation side. But I still was designing things myself. I would say, hey, go make this page look like this from this guy's site. But it wasn't... I actually just relaunched a new version of my website about a week ago. And for the very first time, I actually had it professionally designed. And it's amazing the difference. Right. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And uh, my my partner is very good at telling me what I should and shouldn't be spending my time doing. Um, and one of those things is is fonts and colors and things like that. So, yeah, it's not what I'm trained in. So, I should be focusing on delivering great content, connecting people together, those kinds of things. And that's what I'm more and more able to do as the business grows. Um, so people listening to this who might be just starting out or might not even have a course or anything on online yet, uh, remember that we all started doing everything, uh, buying the domains, setting up the hosting, choosing a theme, customizing the pages. You know, We all start that way and that's okay. It, it, it takes some time. Uh, unless you've got a pot of money that you can dive into and, and splash around on a fancy website, you'll be doing it all yourself. And that's okay. I was talking to someone just the other day, actually, in my mastermind group, we were talking about this. Uh, and, and yeah, everyone goes through this same thing. The Pat Flynn's of the world, the Amy Porterfields, I'm sure they probably built their first website. So uh, just keep that in mind. It, um, it does take time and you'll look back on the things that you did at the start and cringe as I do. Um, but that's okay too. Yeah, that's that's very very good advice. So, Tim, are you? What are you struggling with in your business, if anything? Uh, one thing that I'm learning now is how to how to scale a business and how to hire in a way that allows me to do what I should be doing more and more, which is having a strategic overview of the business and driving some of those um, business connections and the networks and things like that rather than worrying about why this button isn't working on my website or the fact that there's a mistake in this article and things like that. So, as uh, again, as I've been able to grow the business, I've been able to hire more people to help for thing, help me do things and while I'm, I'm really, I'm not a micromanager and I love handing things over, that's great. What has always been a challenge is, and uh, I'm sure you, you might have had this, got to the same point and I know listeners will, where you know you can't do everything but you don't have enough money to hire someone else to do it yet quite and 
it's a really hard, hard point to be in because you've kind of got to take a risk to give yourself more time and to get a better person in to do that other stuff, which will grow the business. But there's that little, there's that period, which could be a, a few months where you're like, oh, I don't know if I can really afford this, but I really need to do it. Have you had that experience? Yes, of course. I think, uh, you know, that's a natural progression in this whole thing for everybody. If you, if you're able to get to that point, it's like, do I outsource it? Like I, I need to make more money in order to, to spend on outsourcing. But if I don't outsource something, then it's never going to get to that point where it's making enough money. So it's like a huge catch 22. What do you do with that? Yeah, exactly. And, and so that's, a, uh, it's a, it's a really, I won't, won't complain about it. It's a fantastic place to be in your business when it's, it's growing enough that you can think this way. So, uh, that's one of my, will always be one of my struggles is, is building for myself that role of, of the director, the visionary rather than the hands-on person and hiring the right people into the right places and managing them and leading them. That that's, that's always going to be a challenge, but it's, it's one that I actually really love doing. Uh, I've, I've, as I say, I've, I've been a teacher for a long time. So I've always been in front of people and I've had teams of teachers under me. Uh, so I, I enjoy that and I love the online marketing side of things. So, um, doing more of that is great. Uh, and also for me, working with other people in the industry, connecting with them and working out synergies and ways to connect, that, that's that's what I love doing. And so that's why I also, another reason why I love going to conferences and speaking at them and meeting people and things. That, that's Someone said to me um, a while ago, a few, years, a few years back, a friend who I'd met, uh, who's another online um, music teacher, uh, now a good friend said, Tim, the the thing that you are best at is networking and connecting people. That's that's just what you, it's just so natural to you. It's not natural to everyone, but that is just something you can do. So I'm kind of conscious that that's the thing that I should be spending most of my time doing because it's, it's a, a skill that not everyone has and it's one that can help me, again, grow and develop my, my connections and my business and, and hopefully help that. Um, that that sort of progression to the next stage. Well, Tim, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and your story a little bit more. And I thank you so much for for joining me on the podcast today. I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. You shared a lot of great advice already. Um, to wrap things up, let us know if there's any other advice you have for somebody, you know, just getting started out in this process of course creation and where people can find your stuff online. I think uh, I was just 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 having a, a think before about you said, you know, what would I do differently? Uh, probably. I'm hearing more and more about YouTube and uh, and I know you've got stuff on YouTube. I've got things on YouTube, but I haven't really dialed it in uh, as far as SEO and, and things like that are concerned. I have a feeling that YouTube is only going to become a bigger platform and a, and a better place to grow audiences and develop a name for yourself. So that could be another strategy that people use rather than the blog kind of thing and definitely podcasting. You've got one. I've got one. Just about all my friends in the industry have a podcast and one of the things that I ask new members soon after they've joined is one of, one of the questions is, well, why did you join? And the podcast comes up all time and time and time again as to why they've actually found me and, and why they're connected with me. It's a great way to, as you said before, provide that influence. So I highly recommend that. Um, and if people are interested, then timtopham.com, they, uh, they can certainly find out more about me. And what I do. And if you're a pianist struggling to play melodies in pop songs, my biggest tip for you, I'll give you two tips, three tips, Jacques. How about this? Um, one is don't 
play the melodies. Okay, that's just the easiest thing to do. It, it's just so difficult. So learn the chords. And I know you're all about chords, man. Learn how to play the chords and sing along. If you don't want to sing along, then use an app to provide the singing for you if it's not in the same key as YouTube. So uh, one of my favorites I tell everyone about is called Note Star, N-O-T-E-S-T-A-R. It's an app by Yamaha. You know, not only has a backing track, but it has the singer singing it as well. So that's a good one. Um, and if you are going to play the melody and you really want to do that, then don't try and read every dot and every rhythm perfectly because it just won't work. And even if you get it right, you'll sound like a computer and not like the original singer. So what I tell my students to do is play it how they know it goes in their head. Because if they want to play a pop song, chances are they've listened to it thousands of times. They know that melody. So just forget the notation. Here are the notes. Play it how it sounds in your head. And um, that's, that's a good approach I've found. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tim. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That is going to do it for episode 69. You can find all the detailed show notes and any links that we mentioned in the conversation by going to theonlinecourseguide.com slash 69. Don't forget to check out our sponsor of the podcast. You can start your free 14-day trial of Bonjoro by going to bonjoro.com slash shock. And if you are out there and you've been listening to this podcast, but you don't have a plan yet for your online course, whether you have this idea for an online course, but you don't know where to go next, or you have an online course already and it just hasn't reached your goals, but you don't have a plan for it to reach your goals, you need the free online course workshop that I've put together for you. It's going to help you create and grow a wildly profitable online course. Some of my best tips are in there. You can log in and you can view that anytime. You can view that workshop anytime at theonlinecourseguy.com. It's 30 minutes long. All you have to do is enter your email. You're going to be redirected right to it. You can watch it immediately. It's not an evergreen webinar or anything like that. It's a 30-minute video. I call it the free online course workshop. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't checked that out yet, there's no good reason why that would be. Once again, theonlinecourseguy.com. Check out the free online course workshop. Guys, stay tuned. There's more Online Course Guy podcasts coming your way soon.